You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 170, and welcome back, Fran. It's uh, Welcome back to you, too. Our, not our first time recording live again. We, we're in the time loop once again, <laughs> but... Uh, but. It's our first buzz episode since so we've been back. So, how was yeah. your vacation? It it was all we haven't and, actually talked and, about it. At yeah, all. we haven't talked about it at all, and uh, we should probably not talk about it too much no. here. We can talk about we can like, <laughs> just give the the gist of the what gist. happened. It was it's, ten days. I'm putting in, you on a timer. Ten days in Croatia. We visited three cities: Dubrovnik, uh, Lopud Island, and uh, Stone. And it was the best vacation of our lives. Actually, That's it, awesome. it, it spawned. We had such a wonderful time. It spawned the conversation about retirement, which is still far enough away. Yeah. But I, after a lengthy discussion, my wife and I have decided that we are retiring to Poland. Oh, no way. Yeah. So yeah, um, she just felt like being in Europe again. She mm-hmm. felt at home. Yeah. She felt – she's like, I feel like me again. She yeah. goes, it's something that I'm missing. And she goes, I think – she goes, are you enjoying this? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. This. yeah. <laughs> so just the yeah, cool the culture there would be close enough mm-hmm. that I think we've decided. My only caveat was I have to die first. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we yeah. can't go to a foreign country and then you you pass away and then I'm a stranger in a foreign country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, but if I pass away first, you're at home. Yeah. You know, so it's not a big deal uh-huh. for you. Cool. So Very cool. So we have to work that part out. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you got a long time before. Yeah, yeah we, got. we got quite some. I'm sure those plans will flip-flop 50 times in yeah. the years to come, but that was the gist. And how was your vacation? It was good. So we went to uh, Princeton, Maine, which is a little bitty town that's like five hours after you cross the border in the Maine from New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And uh, just relaxed fish. I got sick for a day and a half. Did you really? Yeah, I had... I had Flu-like symptoms. Oh. I was like down with a fever and just was out of. You were it down a, with the sickness for a day. Yeah, down <laughs> with the sickness. And uh, but after that, I was I recuperated and was able to enjoy it. I was hoping to do some botanizing, and I really didn't do any. But uh, now this is your son's. So this is somewhere that you've been going yeah. since childhood, mm-hmm. and this was his first time. There. His first time yeah. there, and how did he? He loved it. Okay, yeah, he was. Uh, he's at an age where he could actually enjoy it, and there's a. Uh, a lot of other kids from families that we knew and like and you do this with, was, with a lot of local yeah it's families. a lot of people who were local to us all went and some a lot of them dropped off over the years but now you have the kids who were around when i was a kid um they were a little older than me that they were they were like teenagers when i was seven or eight yeah. and um but they have their own kids who are now teenagers and then my son's three so it was kind of like the same watching what I experienced nice. at the same time with with those people. So Very cool. uh, no, it was a, a good trip and uh, glad to be back. Yes, yeah. First, I was still on vacation, but glad <laughs> me to too. be back. Yeah, at the same uh, time, same same feelings. I so. I totally get it. Yeah, it's neither of you or I really have had like a vacation in a while. No, no, it's been a, a long vacation. Time. We've had time off, but we yeah. haven't had hey, shut everything off and go away for a little bit. Yeah, a lot of my well, I, we went on a cruise over the winter. 
Oh, I forgot. That was a vacation. That got postponed. And that then, got postponed, yeah. and then we went. But a lot of, like, our other... But it wasn't a week, right? You Were you only gone for a couple uh, days? Like, when was the last time you went away was for a week? Days. Oh, was it? Was it? Okay. Yeah. All right. I yeah. think it was. But it was, um, yeah, it was, like, Saturday to Saturday. Oh, okay. But uh, the other thing was um, uh, a lot of our other trips have been, to, like, work-related. Like, I'm going to work, and we just take, like, add an extra day yeah. or two to, yeah. to add in, so. Yeah, a lot of mine have been, like, a day here, a day there. Yep. You know, two days, three days. But yeah, not, yeah. like, a full week where you're going away somewhere. That was my first time in since 2011 mm-hmm. when uh, we went on a cruise in, like, December of 2011. That was the last time I had been away. Yeah. For So, so happy to be back. Yeah. Sad to be not on vacation, yeah. but it's all, all yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. But back to be good to be back in the native plant sphere, and we have a couple things to follow up on before we get to all that good native plant information. Uh, first, is we we said it that we're doing the t-shirt donation this episode. Yes, and who are we giving it to, Fran? You can say. You well, I, say? you all yeah. right. All right. So we collaborated. We and collaborated. You, this and was talked just about. Stuff, it. And I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. So we had talked about it, and uh, the one thing that kept popping in my mind was our episode that we had done with, and I probably should have the episode number, but the Outdoor Equity Alliance and the the work that they're doing, and we've we've talked since that episode, and we're happy to do do more. We we want to play mm-hmm. a bigger part, and we're we're happy to to extend that. Uh, money, so we're both excited to be able to do this. Yeah. I know they're oh, yeah. they're going to be they're going to be very happy. So yeah, so the, we're we're excited, and then just keep buying more purchases, and mm-hmm. the next one will come soon. So oh yeah, definitely. I, you know, it's did you think like we would we would earn enough to do a couple donations early on, and then it would die off? Um, I didn't know what would happen. Yeah. I was surprised that people bought anything, <laughs> and. But then, and then I was like, "Wow, this is actually working." And then it did slow down for a while, and then it picked yeah. right back up. Yeah. So this is our fourth yeah. donation. I don't Sour, remember. Yeah. Sourland Conservancy, Sourlands, Bowman's Hill, um, Native Con- Habitat Project, yep. and then yeah, Outdoor yeah. Equity. So we're fourth. we're excited about yeah. this. So uh, keep purchasing; the money will keep going to great causes, and you'll get to spend or spread a great message. Yeah, whether it be an apron, a phone case, or a or a t shirt. So, and then uh, another, when one of our recent Buzz episodes, we talked about the American Beauty's brand for native yeah. plants. And um, and I forget how exactly the conversation went. But I'm pretty sure you brought it up. I think it was well, you. I probably did. I'm giving did. you credit. Yeah. yeah. I'm giving yeah. you credit. And I, a lot of it, I get disappointed. And, like, we don't grow any of this stuff, but I get disappointed when I see people down-talking that brand because they are trying to do things Right way, it's a lot of yeah. wild type cultivars or selections. Um, so, which basically means it had to be found in the wild and then selected, and then uh, there. So there wasn't like gene editing or breeding or yeah. crossbreeding. A lot of people just assume it's a cultivar. It's got to oh, they took they went in with microscopes and scalpels and like Frankenstein something together, yeah. and that's the case with some things, but not yeah. I would say most are not that way. Um, no, and we we supply liners, yeah, to through uh, through other nurseries mm-hmm. that go in this product line. We yeah. can't tell you where they're going to end up, but those are plants that are grown yeah. from seed and are straight species and are, you know, they should be in an area where they're they're local ecotype. Yep. So yep. and because it's a wild collected or wild type plant, um, basically we went out in the 
wild areas that we had permission to, collected seed, grew the plants and as a liner, and then sold them so they can get put into a, a bigger container because it's from a wild type. They're able to put it into an American Beauty's pot and yeah. sell it under that brand, which for the, I don't want to say the uneducated buyer, but someone who doesn't know as much about native plants, that's what they're walking into a garden center looking for. Yeah, They're, they're used to seeing the white proven winter pots and the multicolored endless summer hydrangea pots. That's what they want to see. And when they see a, a black pot, they're, it's... It's an it's unknown. A, it's a it's cheaper, a generic, generic. it's a generic, or like it's cheaper in their mind. So you have that colored pot, and it costs more to buy that colored pot, but uh, but they perceive it to be more valuable. And now you have something that's a native plant competing with the proven winners, and yeah. the no, then there's native proven winners plants too. I don't want to get too deep down yeah. the rabbit hole. We got a call call in from one of yeah. our friends saying that American Beauty's actually put something in place recently. That all of their licensed growers uh, have to be neonic free by 2024. So that's mm-hmm. not just the grower themselves, and a lot of these guys actually are yeah. already neonic free. Um, but it's not contractually just for, obligated. Yeah, now they're yeah. contractually obligated, and they're it's not just them themselves, but the vendors that they're getting the plants from to pot up have to be neonic free as well. So yeah. we're neonic free, so we already help fall out and, and fall into that, and I'm sure. A lot of the folks that are supplying plants for this have that foresight and say, yeah, this is the right thing for us to do. This is what we should be doing, and and they're already doing that. So, But it's nice to see that it's contractually obligated and some stuff can't fall through the cracks. And, and let's so, be honest. Sometimes when you go into a garden center, not everything is has appropriate signage so that you know. Like yeah. you're going in and asking questions. Mm-hmm. At least with this, it helps you shop with a little bit more confidence. Yep, you exactly. see it, and you're like, okay, I I kind of know what I'm getting yeah. at this point. Yep. So, so. Uh, and then we have two like personal congratulations. Yeah, uh, for some of our listeners, one of them actually was a, a guest at one point, and that is uh, first up is Russ Finari, and he had a birthday this week, yeah. and Happy we're not going to sing. No, uh, congratulations on turning 32. <laughs> and, and, you and, don't uh, look a day over over 31. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations. One of my dad's Happy favorite birthday. jokes is uh, is when someone has a birthday and you say, "Oh, how old are you?" and and uh, then they say, "Oh, I'm 56 or whatever." Yeah. He's like, "Oh, you don't look 56, but I remember when you did." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That joke never gets yeah. old. Oh yeah. And then, um, and for why don't you congratulate the next person? So Lynn Kuntzman uh, got Master Gardener of the Year, I believe. I I didn't see which. Do you remember which is Oregon? Oregon. Oregon. So congratulations, and and Lynn has called in before and and contributes uh, very much on our healthy plant, uh, native plants, healthy planet Facebook group. So that is quite the achievement, and yeah. we're happy that you're a part of our community and carrying on the the wonderful message and bringing that with you. I know not everyone in master gardening programs around the country are that in tune with native plants, um, yeah. but we see it becoming more of a focus, especially locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, yeah. we're happy that you're kind of leading that way and setting a fantastic example. So congratulations. And, yeah, definitely. And we're happy to see it. Thank you for sharing that with all yeah, of us. Yeah, no, we were really excited to see it. And uh, and it's it's. I hope to see more of that. Me too. I know one of the comments was because uh, Lynn wrote in that she was surprised because she's constantly telling people to plant more native plants. And one of the comments is like, oh, I wish – my master gardener group was okay with me trying to do that so hopefully we see more of that in the yes. coming years of uh of people who are really passionate about native plants also being recognized uh through the master gardener groups 
I agree. I agree. I mean, we just found out locally, like one of the the local school districts, some of the work that uh, um, the uh, it was Cherry Hill Environmental Board actually mm-hmm. has a, a pollinator expert yeah. uh, on their board, yeah. and they also attach a master gardener to it. Mm-hmm. To like, if a school has issues or wants to put in a pollinator garden and they need help designing it, they actually will put them in touch with people from their environmental board, master gardeners, so forth, to help them with native native gardens and and native habitats and i was really thrilled to do that because we're not always able to do that that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of beyond our scope and the schools may not have the financial resources to hire a professional to do that uh but the fact that they're making those resources available in their community is pretty progressive and i was really happy to see that so kudos to to cherry hill uh, New Jersey for that. And I'll, I'll even add to that frame. I think this is the same thing you're talking about, but it was the, the Rosa middle school yes. in Cherry Hill. Yeah. I just saw this this morning. They actually won, uh, they had a native garden kit project and it won, uh, their student group first place in the New Jersey climate challenge. And they actually get to go visit the governor's mansion, talk to the, the first lady of New Jersey. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. That's exciting. So we love seeing that kind of education being done at a student level because that's the that's the next gen- generation that's going to carry the torch mm-hmm. and we kind of discuss that a little bit in next week's episode uh that you'll hear a little bit with with our guests from TerraCycle and uh we we're really big proponents of yeah. of school programs yeah, that help definitely. with native plants and and native nature and, and mm-hmm. habitat for sure for sure so Fran why don't we get into the plants we're vibing with this week and that's hot I was waiting to mess up since it's been so long, yeah. but I didn't. I'm still kind of surprised we haven't got a cease and desist. Over that. Yeah. <laughs> it is very short. Maybe it counts I, as parody law. It's, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, you know, I would like to see or hear what mm-hmm. your take is on this plan. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I want you to go first. This is more of a just an, an interest thing why I'm bringing it up. I was really hoping to have like some really cool plant from Maine and – and appease all our main listeners and, and folks from the far Northeast with something that I found up there. And uh, like I said, I, I had plans to go out and do a lot of that, and I just didn't do it. It's different when you have a, a kid and you lose time, especially they he's still napping. So it's like, well, there's two hours that I got to stay close by and, and let my wife go do what she wants. Um, but I got home. And then we had a big windstorm the other night, and it reminded me of the the pitfalls of the tree that I chose, which is Betula nigra, nigra or river birch. And uh, river birch is, is a beautiful tree. It's a large, deciduous tree with pinkish-brown peeling bark, which provides year-round ornamental interest. The dark green diamond-shaped leaves turn yellow in the fall. It prefers moist, uh, moist wet soils and tolerate periodic flooding. Uh, it's an adaptable tree, and it'll grow in dry soils. Um, this large tree has an extensive root system, and uh, you can use a river birch as a specimen tree, which I think is from a home landscape is a really great use. And uh, or if you're doing like a restoration, it's great in wet areas uh, like where rain gardens or around pod, uh, pond edges or streams. Um, a lot of that information is from Jersey Friendly Yards. I've complained about this tree and how messy it can be as a specimen tree in your yard uh, when you get those windstorms or ice storms or, or just uh, heavy snow, that kind of stuff. There's sticks all over. I just let them sit for the winter now, and I'll go in the spring and pick everything up. Um, but we had a windstorm the other night, 
and a bunch of sticks ended up in my driveway and in my yard, and I picked them up. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is you don't see it when these are in the ground. But I was giving a, a fellow a tour yesterday, and uh, we were talking about river birch and saying, yeah, we had issues where there's like a nickel deficiency with those in container pots. And they get these little tiny leaves, which is called mouse-eared leaves. And um, and it's all just because they there isn't enough nickel available in the potting media for them to take up. And, uh, and it's an issue we've had here for many years, and we get a handle on it, and then somehow we forget how to do something, and then it gets away from us again, and then we do it again and figure it out. And um, last year was a bad year. This year we've, we haven't nailed. But uh, you actually you take, you'll buy... Uh, it's a product called Nickel Plus, and you'll do a foliar spray and just spray it on the foliage, and then the leaves look like if you have mouse ear already, yeah. within two weeks they'll look almost fine. It, it pretty much is amazing how it's, quickly yeah. it. You look at it and you go, "Oh, this is stunted. This is never going to." Yeah, it's like this something is wrong with this plant. To oh, it actually looks okay now. Oh, it's yeah, and it's then, okay. But if you hit it, if you time it up right, so you let the the best way to do it is you let the leaves come out in the spring. You'd spray it on, and this is again in container issue. Once they're in the ground, it doesn't seem to be an issue. No, but um, and even I've read reports of trees where they had this, they went and planted them in the ground, and then they never saw the issue again. Yeah. So there must just be enough nickel cool. in the ground for it to absorb. But yeah, it's just something if you're in a nursery or you are in a nursery setting. I've had the one guy yesterday. There's another guy in um in Virginia. I was talking to on the phone. And he was just said something about it. I'm like, oh, it might be this. And I sent him the link, and he's like, oh yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> and he just didn't know. And uh, so yeah, if you have a nursery and you're seeing that your river birch have really tiny, weird looking leaves and they're kind of like witch broom twigs at the end, that could be it. And that's cool. why I brought it up. Very cool. It's uh, I've like I've featured it before, but I wanted to feature it again. I think the my my pick we featured before also. I was kind of hoping to go to Croatia and see something that was native to North America. There, mm-hmm. it was really funny. The only out of the plants I knew, the only plant I knew that was actually native to the Mediterranean, which was all over, was oleander. Which mm-hmm. if you're in the the like North Carolina, South Carolina, along the, mm-hmm. the beach. There's oleander everywhere. So it's something you see and you recognize immediately, and you're like, oh, I'm seeing it in its natural conditions because it's native to here. But everything else was not even native to there. <laughs> it was like yeah. bougain- bougainvillea, which is native to South America, olive trees, which actually were brought to the Mediterranean from Asia. Hmm. Um, yeah. What else was it? Uh, a lot of Asian sycamores. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. Like there were some like 500-year-old Asian sycamores, uh, things like that, that we saw. But yeah, nothing that was – didn't see anything North American. Really, a lot of agave, which – Really? Uh, yeah. I think which is only native to a certain part of Mexico. Have you ever seen agave blooms? It looks like I a tree. Have, it looks yeah. like a – I guess I've – in pictures and videos. Yeah, but it looks like an umbrella pine yeah. coming out of a, a yucca huh. plant. It's pretty pretty yeah. amazing. But like to see those on cliff sides and so forth. Yeah. But it was just amazing. I'm like, yeah, I really other than the oleander, I'm not really seeing anything that's native yeah. to here. Which was you But know, we, we also didn't see a lot of insects yeah. or birds. Like there were only swifts okay. and some seabirds and we didn't it was really void I think we saw one bee and one butterfly in ten days. Yeah. Interesting. Really, yeah. So I'm sorry, I cut you off. I was going to say that we have an employee here who, when he goes home to Mexico for the yeah. winter, his family has like an agave 
plantation. Really? And they make mezcal. Ah, oh, that's pretty and awesome. And he says he wants to bring some back. He should but, definitely yeah. bring some back. I encourage yeah. that. So, but anyway, my my plant uh, of that's hot is sweet pepper bush or sweet shrub, which is clether all in the folia. And I, it was blooming in my backyard, and I love this plant. I realized I have planted this plant in every house I've ever lived in. Um, it, it gets three to six foot tall, so it stays a good size. It can get 10 to 12 foot tall, but it takes pruning really well. It takes sun and shade. It takes wet conditions to dry conditions. It takes sandy or clay soils. Uh, nice, nice pale yellow fall color. Uh, it's relatively disease-free, somewhat deer-resistant. The deer still nibble a little bit on mine, but they're supposed to not be one of their favorites. Um, many birds eat the fruit. The flowers are blooming now in July and August. Uh, you can smell the the spicy perfume scent as soon as you mm-hmm. come in my backyard, which is awesome. Uh, it's showy white to pink spikes that will attract bees, butterflies, and hummingbirds. And there's a lot of different coming, uh, cultivars out there too. I know there's like a rosy pink one, uh, which I think is on the Folia rosea. There's a hummingbird, which is a dwarf one that stays even smaller. So you can get it in some shape or form, even if it's not straight species. But this one's so popular, you can find the straight species yeah. most places. Yeah. So I think the cultivars are probably less likely than finding the straight species. So uh, just one of my favorites is kind of – I'm sure we've highlighted this at some point before. Uh, but yeah, I don't – I'm sure we did, but I don't remember when. Yeah. I think I did because I saw it, it – it was a year or two ago. When it's in bloom, you see it a lot driving through the Pine yeah. Barrens. Yeah. Um, it's just like on these little ditches on the side of the road. So It's just for, for a small shrub – that you can keep if you want it more to look more formal, you can prune it, and it takes so many different conditions that technically I think it's a facultative wet plant. Like mm-hmm. you find it mostly – like if you're driving uh, the interstates through Maryland, you find it, a lot of it on the uh, – right on the woods edge along the highway. Same thing if you're going on the 42 or Atlantic City Expressway going to uh, – through the Pine Barrens, you find it all along the edges yeah. of the woods yep. as you're heading to Atlantic City or the, or yep, the beaches. Exactly. So just a it, – it's a hard plant not to be successful with, and if, if you want to get someone started off and, and get them to plant a, a native shrub, that's a good one to start with. Yeah. There's a lot oh, of definitely. interest, different definitely. season interest. As soon as it opens, there's bees all over I it. I love the seed on it too. Uh, yeah, it's pretty it's, awesome. Yeah. It's pretty it seems, awesome. It resembles the flowers except it's gray and just like <laughs> – it's one of those ones I feel like I have to touch and strip all the seeds <laughs> off of. So. Exactly. So two great choices. Uh, if you don't have them in your yard, both of them are great choices to uh, to make additions. And uh, I guess that's it. Yeah, so let's get in some of this week's botany-based current events. And, uh, of course, it's a competition. This week, it was a drubbing. So, Fran, <laughs> let's do this or that. So, I think the score is high enough because we did this a month ago. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah so there's been a month worth <laughs> of voting. It's still not close. No, it's- but my article was on rain and prairie restoration uh, and how it relates to prairie restoration. And Tom had one on navigating nurseries, and that was with the Wild Seed Project up in Maine. I actually won thirty-one to seven, which that that kind of just shot. I just think enough of our listeners that are in an area yeah. of the country that have prairies or are trying to restore prairies, it kind of resonated with yeah. that. I think whenever we talk about prairies, oh it's yeah, kinda, they tend to do well. It, it tends to, to do well. So I, what do I typically choose to go last? 
I think you like to go first, but I'll, you can go whenever yeah. you want. All right, I'm I'm gonna go first. I okay. couldn't remember. I'm like, for, I'm gonna change it up and go yeah. first. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I so I I I I picked a small one, but I saw this one and immediately got interested, and I I think this will interest you you as well, Tom. Mm-hmm. So, um, my article is called "A Second Species of Ramp or Wild Leak Is doc- Was Documented in Pennsylvania." The article is by Jeff Mohallam from Penn State University, and I found this article on phys.org. The presence of a second species of ramp, Allium burdickii, commonly known as narrow-leaf wild leek, has been documented in southwest Pennsylvania by a team of Penn State researchers in a new study. The plant species never before has been documented in the state, and the researchers suggest the discovery show a need to protect remaining populations of the plant. The more common and well-known broader-leaf ramp species, Allium trichocum, is widespread in the state and often collected, eaten for thousands of years by Native Americans. Ramps are valued for their strong garlic-like aroma and onion-like flavor. More recently, they've become popular among foodies and restaurant chefs, leading to an increased demand by urban consumers. Allium burdickii likely has been in Pennsylvania a very long time. According to a team leader, Eric Burkhart, associate teaching professor at the Department of Ecosystem Science and Management, his research group in the College of Agricultural Sciences has been studying the dis- distribution, and abundance of forest herbs such as ramps, golden seal, and ginseng for nearly two decades. We think one at a time there was probably a much more widespread and perhaps contiguous population of the slow-growing perennial plant that occurred through western Pennsylvania to the Midwest, he said. But now uh, Allium burdickii seems to be found in only isolated populations in increasingly urban areas outside Pittsburgh. We're working to figure out areas where it occurs so that hopefully we can conserve what's left. Because Allium burdickii has thinner leaves, grows in slighter, drier uh, locations and flowers earlier than Allium trichocum, scientists and perhaps most collectors just missed it, Burkhardt explained. From a conservation standpoint, because we're finding Allium burdickii in urban areas around Pittsburgh to date, the populations appear to be relatively small and localized, and they are vulnerable, said Burkhardt who is director of the Appalachian Botany and Ethnobotany Program at the Penn State Shavers Creek Environmental Center. Because of development in the region and the high demand for ramps, we need to educate the public about the need to recognize and conserve them. Researcher Cassie Stark, who spearheaded the study as a master degree student, uh, studied four populations, each of Allium trichocum and Allium burdickii in southwestern Pennsylvania, and compared and contrasted the habitats where they were found. She documented the soil, fertility, and moisture and site characteristics, such as topography associated with the sites where each species of ramp grew. Also, she recorded the presence of other plants growing with the ramps. In findings published July 26 in the Natural Areas Journal, the researchers reported that Allium trichocum is associated with north-facing slopes and higher soil moisture content throughout the growing season, whereas Allium burdickii was found on a variety of facing slopes a soil pH and nutrient content were greater at Allium burdickii sites than trichocum sites, and suggesting the former may rely more heavily on nutrients such as calcium. So I just wasn't aware of the other one, especially probably yeah, because it's not no either not something that we assume that we would come across yeah. in nature. I'm wondering if if it's limited where it's found because those urban areas. Those populations existed now where the urban areas exist, mm-hmm. where if you have urban sprawl, maybe they have kind of trampled some of that some of that habitat. Or how many people collected them not even knowing? Mm-hmm. Not, not You know, yeah. if I saw it flowering and kind of knew the smell and collected it, I, I may not because I'm unaware that there's different species. Yeah. 
may have collected it without knowing. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering, yeah, how many people who who collect ramps to eat even know the botanical name for <laughs> for what it is. Yeah. Um yeah, so I had I had no clue that there was But now I'm curious That's cool. if there's Very cool. uh a difference in flavor or yeah. or the strongness. Mm-hmm. Like is is does one taste stronger than yeah. the other? Is the other you know, I'm just curious, like from a cooking standpoint, mm-hmm. if one is better. I to guess use we're gonna one. have to go to Pittsburgh. I guess so. We have some friends out there. Which I, there. Yeah, I, I, we were driving from. This is something I should have done a follow up on. Yeah. We went to the Cultivate Conference, which is a big nursery and greenhouse conference in Ohio, and then we had a went to a reforestation uh, nursery meeting. In we should have added that actually to our yeah our follow up yeah in uh. In Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, in State College, but we drove through Pittsburgh. And I'd never gone to Pittsburgh from the west before, where you go through, like, the tunnel, and you come out, like, on a bridge over, like, the the confluence there. Yeah. And, like, the state, all the stadiums are right in front of him. Like, holy crap, this is pretty cool. You're just on, like, a regular, like, little country road. or It's not, it's a highway, but you're on, like, this, like feels like middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a city you go through a tunnel and you're in the middle of a city i've done it once and it's pretty i wasn't expecting it yeah i was not expecting it and it was like nine o'clock at night so everything's lit up they were playing uh the pirates were playing a a baseball game i think they might even playing the phillies and um yeah it was just it was cool driving through no they're playing brewers they played the phillies the next night okay but uh, because i remember that being on the tv when uh we went out to dinner the next night but um yeah no conference was really good and uh We'll fit them in. So okay. I don't want to. Maybe the next buzz. I don't want to we'll do it in the middle. Well, no, we'll do it this buzz. Okay. I just don't want to do it in the middle All of right. our segment here. How about after this? Because after this, we typically go to um, listener shout outs. Yeah. After we're done this, let's talk about Cultivate. And yeah, then we'll, definitely. We'll just add it. Okay. Definitely. So, you have any last words on your article? I don't. I just thought it was really interesting. And I would imagine, given, given that it's a colder climate, mm-hmm. that they're blooming and they're more prevalent later. So yeah. if you're working your way across the state, like when we typically see it, I'm sure it's probably like mm-hmm. two weeks later that yep. you're probably noticing it yeah. more. Yeah, definitely. But I want to find the research because they're telling you what plants they're found around also. Yeah. You know, we've talked about like Joe Cermelli with um, morels, mushrooms, yeah. like what plants you can – or habitats that are keys for finding mm-hmm. them. If there's other keys to finding them, I would like to know that. Oh, definitely, definitely. All right, that's all I got. All right, so my uh, – what am I trying to say? My article this week was in was it Scientific News. Did I, yeah, science or sciencenews.org. Uh, it was by Jude Coleman. It was published on June 27th, 2023 at 7.01 p.m. Ooh, Somehow I include that. I like that. <laughs> and it was titled – Flowers pollinated by honeybees make lower quality seeds. A new study emphasizes the importance of conserving wild native insects too. And uh, I am sorry all to all my beekeepers out there that I harp on this. I th- I think honeybees have their purpose. Yeah. Um, it's to produce honey for people and used in conventional agriculture. And I always uh, I get disappointed when I see honeybees lumped in with native yeah. native habitats because they aren't the same. And uh, they shouldn't be lumped together. But uh, so this, it's a, a relatively short article, and I'll read the whole thing, and then I'll give some more of my thoughts later. And this is something that we've kind of alluded to, but I hadn't seen any kind of documentation. Like I've yeah. heard that there was studies 
but yeah. I've never actually seen anything, so I'm excited to There's hear some this. I've seen from, like, the Xerxes Society has put some stuff out, um, a couple different presentations. Kelly Gill, Gill shared some stuff with me. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's something I've been hearing, and you have to hear about honeybee, native bee conflicts, yes. passing disease back and forth. Uh, honeybees tend to be more meticulous. Um, uh, what are foragers, I guess. So then there's not enough food, and they, they wake up a little earlier, so then there's not as much food for some of the native bees when they show up to yeah. eat. And um, so there's a lot of impacts there, especially when you have, I don't want to say, like too many honeybees. Yeah. Is If you have small populations, then a lot of times they They're aren't okay. going to interact as much. When you have way too many beehives, it's not just bad for the native bees, it's bad for the honeybees too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'll read a little bit and then, then get into more of my thoughts. Flowers pollinated by honeybees make fewer and lower quality seeds than flowers visited by other pollinators. That could be because honeybees spend more time buzzing between flowers of the same plant or on the same plant uh, than other pollinators do. As a result, more of the plant's own pollen is deposited back on itself, leading to more inbred seeds. Researchers reported on June 28th in Proceedings of the Royal Society B. Honeybees command a lot of attention in insect conservation circles, in part because they are important for pollinating our food supply. But the findings emphasize the importance of prioritizing pollinators like wild native bees, moths, and butterflies in conservation efforts, too, the research, uh, researchers say. For the study, ecologists Joshua Cohn and Dylan Travis, both of the University of California, San Diego, painstakingly tracked the pollination of flowers of, uh, from three native plant species, white sage, uh, black sage, and uh, phal- friend, you know how to pronounce that one? Phalica? Phacelia distance. Um, when white sage is salvia, apiana, we're not from California. Apiana, salvia, <laughs> black mellifera. Sage is salvia mellifera. And then, uh, so in San Diego County, often Travis sat for hours waiting for a single pollinator, honeybee or wild bee or otherwise to come and go from, uh, from a flower. Uh, then he put a mesh bag on the flower and came back later to collect the seed. He also collected the seed of flowers he had crossed or self-pollinated by hand, also covered with the bag to prevent any new visitors. Despite boasting over 650 bee species, San Diego County's most frequent flower visitors is the western honeybee, uh, which is Apis mellifera, uh, which isn't native, the researchers say. Whatever native plants are blooming abundantly, they are just dripping with honeybees, Cohn said. Back in the greenhouse, the team grew the seeds, analyzing characteristics that reflected their, uh, their quality, such as how many seeds germinated and survived, and how many leaves or flower seedlings grew. The white sage and, um, and pea distance plants Produce roughly half the amount of seeds from flowers pollinated by honeybees compared with other uh, with other pollinators, mostly native insects. The pea distance seeds uh, from honeybee pollinated plants grew into seedlings with fewer flowers. The black sage plants didn't get enough honey uh, non honeybee visitors for comparison, but did produce fewer seeds when pollinated by honeybees compared uh, with cross pollination by hand. The researchers also found that honeybees visited about twice as many flowers on one plant before moving to the next than the average of other pollinators. That suggests fewer, lower-quality seeds may arise because honeybees transfer more pollen between flowers of the same plant, resulting in more inbred seeds. Other pollinators more often flitted between different plants, probably transferring more diverse pollen. The new finding is concerning, Travis says, because honeybees' methodical pollination habit, it's likely the results are relevant to other plants. But it's difficult to know how things will play out in the long term. One potential consequence could be that native plant populations decline as subsequent generations become more inbred, producing biodiversity. It would be illuminating to see how inbred plants fare after several generations, says Maria Van Dyke, a pollinator ecologist at Cornell University. 
For now, this study is an example of why more conservation focus should be on native bees and other pollinators, which are vital to ecosystems and agriculture, in addition to honeybees, Van Dyke says. Uh, wild or Honeybees, wild bees, and many other insects are threatened by pesticide use and climate change. It's time to actually shift our dependence from pollination from largely honeybees to native species as well, says uh, Jaya Cervanthi Mokapati, an entomologist from Penn State University. Growing native flowers is one way to support native pollinators, she says, as is adding nesting habitat like twigs and decaying wood to yards. So, it brings up a lot of points I hadn't even thought. Like, I hadn't thought about inbreeding and what that means for future generations of that plant genetically down the road. Mm -hmm. Like, after we're gone, what that, how that changes that community. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My one question, having read this, was. If you're, if you're, and I understand yeah. why they did it, yeah. but if you're, how much of the pollination benefit is actual from multiple visits? So if you're, you have a, a, a honeybee or native bee, whatever, comes to visit the flower, you go in and cage it off in a sense. In If you hadn't done that, how many times would that flower have been visited afterwards by both honeybees and native bees? That's a good um, question. And like, does that? I would assume that contributes to to better pollination and better you seed would, results. You would have to think, um, but I don't know. And but that doesn't necessarily. If you just had multiple honeybees going to it, and then one native bee came in, what's the difference there? These are all questions I have no idea how you even, even research. But from a just face value, one honeybee versus one. Uh, native bee it's pretty interesting to see how much better the pollination was from our native bees and we've heard this from from other folks uh anecdotally uh with blueberries and cranberries and that kind of stuff which are are varieties of native plants um that they've seen well it seems like the native bees do a lot better job uh so i get better pollination i get earlier fruit set i get better fruit set on my blueberries and I don't have any honeybees. The honeybees were chasing the native bees away. And we've seen cranberry growers go to the fact where they were bringing in honeybees, mm-hmm. and not only did they stop, they improved the habitat for yeah. the native bees yep. to promote it. And we're saying, oh, this is way easier and way better yeah. uh, for everything. And it's because it's the way nature intended for it to work. Mm-hmm. And it's <clears throat> we keep trying to loophole the system. But yeah. like if you if you actually do it the way it was intended – it's the results were mm-hmm. way better. So, yeah, I just – I don't know if my brain would have ever have gone to reducing biodiversity over time. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense is yeah. if you're – you're that each plant is now uh, reproducing with itself basically. Yeah. And so you're having just less and less gene transfer. What's going to happen – tend to be relatively short-lived, but – so. 50 years from now, what does that population's genetics look like? And then going back to the Sam Drogi analogy, we don't know what we've already lost. Exactly. What's happened since honeybees came here, what would it be, like 250 years ago, yeah. 300 years ago? So We only probably know the biodiversity yeah. records for probably like maybe the last 40 yeah. years, maybe. Yeah. Now, I'm sure someplace in Eng- – like we've talked about this with other studies in England. They seem to have a better record of those things. Mm-hmm. 
um, where maybe you can track it back a little bit. But here, you don't know what that biodiversity yeah. was beforehand or what you've lost. Yeah. So I don't really know. And then the what the the genome project is only when that happened. I, I my science teachers in high school are going to be so mad that I remember that was it the sixties when, when, so. when they I do the so. and that was with humans. Oh gosh, I'm looking it up because I feel I'm really embarrassed that I didn't don't remember this. I remember there was the human genome project was like a thing when I was going through high school, and they were like. Uh, whatever it's it's unimportant to what we're talking about <laughs> talking about but yeah it's just uh it's something i've been pondering we we have honeybees on a lot of our seed fields i've read again anecdotal stuff i've read passages from other papers that suggest that having at least too many honeybees is is an issue for our native pollinators and reduces in worse yields from your seed crops in speaking with our seed person, Christiane, who's our, our producer for a native plant every day with, with Tom and Fran, um, she was saying she noticed that one crop that we have near the bees on the property is iris versicolor, mm-hmm. and the germination percentage has consistently dropped every year. Really? Huh. So yeah. like she could see from her records like this crop is nearby this, mm-hmm. and what started off at this is degrading yeah annually yeah um to a point where it's it's become a problem so it's yeah you, you don't know for sure if that's the factor because maybe that's something that happens over time as well but it's you and would have to a, think that there maybe there there's a correlation somewhere and that's that. a tricky one too because it has such a low germination rate already like that's something that it just doesn't that you, you have to it needs that cold moist stratification for at least a season yeah to come up naturally so when we get it tested it it's going to show a low germination rate regardless. So yeah, that's tricky, but yeah, yeah it's a, that's a great article. It's when you're thinking about, again, I'm apologizing to all the beekeepers, but I really need to make it clear that you're not helping pollinators by becoming a beekeeper and you're not helping native habitats by becoming a beekeeper or, or having bees. Yeah. They serve their purpose. It, they make something that's incredibly delicious um isn't being a like i know this is i always take my analogies way too far yeah but being a beekeeper is much like running a circus like (laughs) (laughs) you're taking these animals and you're you're using them to produce something for human consumption i'm not saying you're not caring for them or so forth but it's like you're harnessing their power for something that yeah. people are willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. And it just seems a little unnatural. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy honey. I, I'm not oh, saying yeah. that at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying do away with it. Bees are the devil. I'm not saying any of that. Yeah. It just seems the whole process of it seems a little outdated to me. Yeah. But I, a lot of people don't feel that way. Yeah, it's a... It's another interesting thing because then you look at the like the honey market on yeah. the global stage. It's, if you if you're into honey, you like honey in your tea, you use it as a sweetener for anything. I can't stress enough that you should buy it from a local beekeeper if you can. One, you're yeah. supporting someone that's in your community. Yeah. Yes. Two, if you're getting in the grocery store, it's more than likely coming from China or. Well, yeah, it's coming from China. Yeah. It may say it's coming from a different area, but it's because China shipped it to yeah. them and then it came over here. And a lot of times it's cut. Like it's not pure honey, yeah. although the labels say pure honey. 
Um, but we do know people like our our local honey producer is creating habitat. Oh yeah, yeah. creating native habitat yep. for foraging for his bees. So yeah. I'm not saying that good doesn't come from this. Yeah, if yeah. it's being done in a certain way, it can benefit because mm-hmm. it's habitat that wouldn't exist it had that not been what he chose to do. Yeah. So I, I guess there the, is good con- – I'm not saying – like I, I keep saying it's – I'm not saying it's evil, but there's things about it that raise questions that – but am I going to buy his honey? Yeah. Yeah, I oh, am. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's – I am. The I think the – I can't remember the exact analogy, but there was an analogy I read in an article or, or something. I didn't think I even brought it up here many episodes ago, but it was like the idea of honeybees helping native pollinators is – is I, I think this was the analogy. It was like – opening up a, a kennel for dogs and saying you're helping wolves. Yeah. It's like I'm helping the wolf pop- population. I've, here's my, my kennel full of domestic dogs. Yeah. It's Realistically, that I know it sounds crazy, but that is almost what's going on. Yeah. Now, I guess you you don't have the well, – dogs have their own, their own issues. Uh, not as bad as cats. Well, they have their own issues with uh, with trophic cascade and yes. getting out there and chasing yeah. things around yeah. and and eating things and killing things that they yeah. otherwise uh, wouldn't have been killed. So, well, you know, it's funny with your your dad's dog uh, as mm-hmm. our uh, facility manager. Watch him; he goes, "I just realized how he's always hunting. Yeah, like he's happiest when he's out and he's hunting. Yep, yep. you know, and it's he was always on the. He's like that's the hardest part is keeping him focused because he's just." always yeah hunting yep. and it's just yep. that's the nature yeah so uh, two great articles uh love both of them both both merit winning you can vote you can't vote for both actually you can vote for both i usually turn it off I, the, okay good. The, i when i was in charge of it the poll went up way later but i would make sure i turned off voting right, for i'm both. gonna make sure i didn't know that was something you turn there's on another off. thing you turn off where uh you can't add your other people's choices oh yeah we yeah. got to do that too yeah. okay i think I'll maybe we sure. have been but all right i'm gonna double check but i will actually be in charge of putting this one up oh, uh, yeah because our social media uh expert will be on vacation uh when this airs but yep. um i will make sure that i get the um the vote up on monday and go to the mm-hmm. website and vote because and of course the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. All right, we typically do Listener shout-outs, but let's talk about yes. Cultivate. Yeah, so uh, Cultivate is in Columbus, Ohio, um, which is a, a nice city, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. relatively small. And but it's, it's, a, it's a college town, Ohio yeah. State. Yeah. The Ohio State. Yeah, so uh, anyway, it's you have nursing greenhouse people from all over the world come to this. It's really, the, really good education. It's uh, a lot pre- of good vendors. Yeah, it's the premier summer trade show. Yes, um, yeah. And... Which there used to be – if you go back three decades, there were a million trade shows. They've all kind of died mm-hmm. off as the internet uh, – there was less of a need. Like a lot of nurseries only had – if you were on the West Coast, you may have one sales rep east of the Mississippi yeah. who would travel around and actually stay with his customers and his travels. Mm-hmm. And you know, But now there's a sales rep per every county or you could just yep. go online. So they they found a need because the education is so good and yeah. there was a void in that 
thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk about oh, it. Oh, no, no, you're right. I, I think that's what created this monster yeah. good trade show in Ohio in the summer. Yeah, so it was in downtown Columbus at the downtown convention center. Whole thing is is packed, um, and there's companies from uh, the Netherlands. There's You'll have folks from California. Uh, I know there's... Like a lot of folks from South America come up. There's people from all over the world that are at this trade show. Oh, most of them are from the U.S. But um, one of the big themes, uh, not just in the presentations, there's a lot of native plant presentations, but then you'd go to a lot of the booths, even companies that weren't traditionally into native plants were promoting native plants. And, uh, and then folks that I knew, this was another thing. Now that I've been doing this for a while and I know a lot of people, uh, the keynote session, I was a little late for it. So I didn't get to go, I didn't go in. I ended up talking to someone outside and I was at the top of the escalator where everyone had to walk by. Yeah. And I, I ended up being there for like an extra 45 minutes because of so many people stopping that I saw. And that was like people I talked to for like three minutes and two or three more people I'd go, would go by that. I'd have to wave to and say, I'll catch up with you later <laughs> because it's just, I don't know. Yeah. You get into this and then you start getting to know everybody. But so many people know we did native plants, yeah. and they were purposely – we didn't have a booth there. We were just walking around. But they were coming up to us to say, hey, my boss, or if they were the boss, we're really interested in doing more with native plants. We should talk a little bit more awesome. and, and figure something out, So, uh, which is encouraging. We're, uh, we're finding – I mean you and I have meetings set up. We're, we're yeah. hearing that more and more, and we're happy – to be able to spread that message and work with these companies that want to take a bigger role in that. Yeah, it's encouraging to me. Like, I don't have an issue getting native plants, but I know a lot of people do. This is really encouraging news because it means that the end user, you're, yeah. as a consumer, you're going to be able to go to your local garden center and find maybe not just native plants, but but species native plants and then locally grown native plants you may even be able to go to your local box store and find those yeah. things which is one of the biggest complaints that mm-hmm. that we hear so yep. things are changing it yep. it took a while but we're starting to see the wheels move a little yep. bit exactly so. so that was really in a fun conference it's good to see a lot of people we do a native plant growers meet up at a lot of these conferences now i think we had close to 40 people oh wow that's uh, i meant to ask you about that came out to that and uh from when i counted it was like 40 different people, I want to say it was like from 10 or 11 different companies or 12 different companies and nine wow. different states. Wow. So it's uh, – and you have folks from Illinois and Pennsylvania and New Jersey with us. And um, I'm trying to remember who – Maryland, uh, Ohio. Georgia. Uh, Wisconsin. Georgia was the next conference. Oh, okay. All right. uh, Missouri. So they're all over the place, and they're all just ha- end up in the same city. And we have the same issues. We have the same thoughts. So why not get together? And uh, and and talk about it. So awesome. Um, then we got in the car. This is my brother and I on this trip. We got in the car, drove through Pittsburgh to go to State College, and uh, it was the Northeast Southeast Combo Reforestation Nursery Conference. And uh, they do this every year. One year it'll be in the South. One year it'll be in the North. And um, and they had some cool stuff on the agenda. And we were driving by anyway. So I'm like, oh, why don't we go to this too? And uh, we actually toured. A, a gentleman around our nursery before the conference yeah. started, before we went to Ohio, who has a native plant nursery in South Africa. His name's Sia, and um, it's Naguni Nursery in South Africa. Yeah. And uh, got to talk about what they're doing growing native plants there, how they're getting them. Uh, they're doing all wholesale growing, but how it gets to the people. Um, 
talked about like the socioeconomic climate and and uh he he actually gave a presentation at this conference and it was like a really it's it's an image that you see could see here too in places but you had uh, a highway and then the left side was green and lush and people had big yards and big houses and then the other side was a slum like people had wow. like yeah. their roof was not a roof it was a tarp um and no there was no vegetation whatsoever on that side of the highway and uh just talking like again talking about the socioeconomic climate in south africa which went through apartheid in his lifetime he's i think he said he's only he's in his 30s yeah so he's grew up through a lot of this and he's like i grew up on this side of the road this is my community and i want to make sure those people can grow up and realize i can start a nursery that's not just nursery but growing native plants that can help rebuild our he actually had a great analogy yeah. somewhat similar to that was saying you don't know that you love ice cream yeah. until you, you don't know that you're going to crave it until you've yeah. had a taste you don't, of it. Yeah, you don't dream of ice cream until you've had ice cream. <laughs> yeah. And then you dream of ice cream all the time. But if until you've had ice cream, you don't even know it exists. Yeah. So his whole idea was he he really we uh talk then we have to re-spark that conversation about bringing um young people from South Africa to the U.S., have them work at Pylons Nursery, North Creek, those kind of places um, that have a focus on native plants, so that they can they say, "Hey, I, I can do this at home, yeah, and I can grow native plants and start something in my backyard." And uh, what we're seeing here, but happening over there, so uh, just really inspiring talking to him and and. Nice to have a friend in South Africa that I get to go visit. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> so, um, uh, so yeah, so he was at that conference, and uh, it's a lot of state nurseries, yeah. which uh, which have they have their purpose. Um, it, it's always the private and public nursery thing is always a a bit of a a what's the a pinch point? I, yeah, it's what, a, a point of contention, and we've seen it work well, and we've seen it not. Yeah, you know where it always works well is when state nurseries work to support the private sector yeah. so that we're all working together for the end consumer. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it gets a little tricky. Yeah. I, I don't mind like the giveaways. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, we have all these plants and we're going to give them away. It's when they step in like a, a competition space. Yeah. That's where it gets like tricky because then it's it, from our perspective, it's tax power money. It's going. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have a government funded entity, Competing with something with they don't have they don't have as much skin in the game I guess they, is how I like to they put don't it. have to be for profit yeah so yep. it doesn't you know because it's taxpayer money if they if they operate at a loss whatever yeah you know it's so it's a different different yeah. model and there was uh, an, an instance where uh, my brother was talking to someone I kind of overheard it and they're showing him pictures of oh look at this piece new piece of equipment I'm getting and this and this and this and I'm and he's like I've been to the nursery it's small like what do you need this quarter million dollar piece of equipment for yeah. like we don't have one of those and we're doing way more than you are oh, um, there's there's a there's a state nursery not too far from us that has a multi-million dollar cooler yeah we're yeah. like wow imagine if we what do you have that for yeah. like it's just amazing so it, they do sir they have their their purpose and they have their benefit it but like i said it can be a point of contention we're not going to go too deep into no, that now no. we've already probably gone too far <laughs> Um, so it's a lot of state nurseries there doing a lot of bare root stuff. And, uh, and it's from the public side of things, it can be frustrating to watch how they do stuff. 
Um, from one, from like, oh, that wouldn't fly with how we would have to do it. And then two, it's like, I can't believe you have that many hurdles. You need to get a tire changed on the, the work truck and you need to call this person and then they have to call this person. You can't just do it. You need to, it has to go through this whole chain to get done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating going to some of these places cause it's just like, everything just seems a little crazy. Yeah. But, um, and the one place we went was actually, it was Pennsylvania Game Commission. This is actually pretty cool. It was an old CCC camp oh, that okay. um, that was like their so their office was in one building, and then they had like a wood shop in one. And so you're going through their like bare root sorting. They get harvested. It gets put on this like long conveyor belt, and people are grading them and, and sorting through and cleaning them up. And then there was just a hole in the floor, and they all got dropped down the hole. And then you had someone at the bottom who would then take them and bundle them and then put them in the cooler to to storage. But it was just, like, it was a little creepy. Like, you're in a little dungeon area, but downstairs. That's interesting. Um, That I'd uh, like to see. But it got to meet up with a lot of other native plant growers at that conference as well. Um, The real highlight of that trip for me was listening to uh, our, our former guest, Sarah Fitzsimmons. From, oh, awesome! Uh, Penn State and oh, then you held the back. American I didn't know you Chestnut got the, Foundation, the and we we got a behind the scenes tour of their little plantation oh, there. So awesome. I have a couple videos I got to clip up and oh, that's awesome and put out there because it was it you wouldn't think it'd be so exciting walking around all these dying trees, <laughs> but <laughs> but but they were they were doing cross pollination and bagging off yeah. the the flowers. So that nothing else could pollinate them, so that they could introduce the genetics that they want to. And like this is Darling Fifty Eight cross, and um, and with Darling Fifty Eight being one of the the transgenic uh, varieties that they f- are finding will uh, resist. I don't want to say resist. What was the term they used? It'll tolerate tolerate yeah. the the fungus coexist. And, um, so it can coexist, and the fungus really won't cause any damage but it doesn't kill the yeah. fungus or, or get rid of the fungus in any way uh, they just kind of yeah, coexist um but and she was saying there's a lot of really cool other varieties that are coming down the pipe so they're like darling 58 is amazing and it's great but we can't go all in on darling 58 because there's so much so many better things coming yeah. and um so yeah it was cool being around there and and Very cool. hanging out with like someone I saw on Zoom, and now I get to meet him in person. Yeah. So yeah, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I like that you waited to tell me that. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> for, uh, frankly, Fran, I kind of I forgot <laughs> that I didn't tell you that until. Well, Fran and I haven't seen each other in three weeks, so <laughs> no, it's it's, uh, it's a lot it's of catching up. Yeah, oh, and, that's that, awesome. and that that happened like right after you left, so it uh, happened yeah. three weeks ago. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why it's it's uh, not fresh on my mind. That's true. Yeah, but, I mean. We didn't talk about vacations because yeah. I got back ten days before I saw you again. Yep, you know, yeah. so it's you just yep. get right back into the work thing. But yeah. um, speaking of getting back into it, listener shoutouts. Yeah, let's do it. All right, listener, listener shoutouts. Shout out, shout out, shout out. So I'm I'm going to get mine out of the way because you have a lot. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Andrew the Arborist, our uh, former guest from just about a month ago or a couple weeks ago. For someone that's so popular on social media to be so accessible, I mean, he was accessible to us, but 
uh, Andrew was answering questions that came in on the YouTube feed of the podcast and and giving feedback on how you can become an arborist and what like very thoughtful, mm-hmm. very helpful information. Um, so I want to thank Andrew for not only being a guest, being a listener, and being so accessible to the people that have questions. I also wanted to give him a congratulations because he just hit one hundred thousand yeah. followers mm-hmm. on YouTube and was named uh, like one of the young young up and comer or like YouTubers to watch. I think it's is was something like that. Oh, no way. Yeah, so he just got his plaque for a hundred thousand and uh that's quite the achievement. That's that's that was wonderful. So just thank you for, for doing everything that you do and being a kind voice in this space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all right. Fran and I got a, a list here. Uh, uh yes, we had did. one from Spotify from uh I'm gonna assume that's pronounced next to zero. Yes. And uh, what do they say? I can't see that one. Oh, they were saying – I have a feeling I know who Next to Zero is yeah. because um, what are the, what do they call the, the car talk guys? The something oh, brothers. Oh, Click and Clack. Or, but the, the, the Tappet Brothers. Tappet Brothers yeah. said that we're the Tappet Brothers of the native plant space. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so then, we have uh, an idea who that might be. Then we got one from Stephen under, underscore Hartley who is one of our Canadian listeners. And, we uh, were actually a top – like 12 nature podcasts in Canada last week. Yeah. And uh, I'm a little surprised by the review that we help with most of their gardening questions, but I'm glad that we are fun and easy listening. Um, we had uh, an updated review from Intermediac uh, that wrote, this show has come such a long way since the start and is now one of the very best native plant podcasts, mandatory listenings. And that is a glowing review and one we really, really appreciate. I appreciate, listen, we're the first to admit that when we started off, it was rough. And we were doing the best that we could do with the vision that we had, and we appreciate you sticking with the podcast and updating the yeah. review. Then we had a DP Vision, which was informative, inspirational, and entertaining. They've been listening for a long time, and uh, they're writing a long overdue five-star review. So my begging and pleading finally worked. <laughs> Thank you so it much. It really worked. Who and, knew? Um, and we had uh, Veggie Carry. Uh, who I think we know who this person is too, yes, right? Yes. And um, they like that we're relatable and upbeat. Which come to our office, you'll see how <laughs> upbeat we can be. <laughs> so, Hang out with us, not yeah. on air. <laughs> um, then we had uh, uh Betsy twenty six uh wrote that we do a wonderful job with the podcast, and they look forward to Friday mornings. And uh, I'm assuming it's it's in addition to the podcast. I think everyone's looking forward to Friday, uh, Friday mornings, mornings, unless you're working awesome. the weekend shift. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm glad we could be a part of your Friday morning and uh, and keep you interested. Yes. Uh, then we had Gabby at 53 uh, wrote that we're one of the top podcasts to listen to in uh, in the very small offering of garden shows. So, which is think is growing. I, every it time I growing. look, there seems like there's more and more. So I'm glad to see that there's more people not just talking about gardening in general, but also native plants. So I agree. Um, when we when we start it. There were a handful. There's yeah. there's more than a handful now. There's plenty of choices. So I'm yeah. I'm happy to see that many people are want to talk about it and hear about. It. Yeah. Did I miss anybody? No. I got, you got everyone. All right. That was so. No. Thank you very much. Like I said, the the five star views and especially the, when you do the write up, it it's just good feedback for us. But the five star views go a long way into promoting our message. That's just how like it doesn't. It, it seems like it doesn't matter how many people listen. It's how many new subscribers you get and then how many five-star reviews are. So that's why I joke around and say, grab your 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 spouse's phone or, or partner's phone, subscribe on there. When friends are over, make sure they all subscribe. Do all that. That's like, it really, it 
pushes up in the charts. And then when you go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it's it's just more likely to show up higher. Yeah. When someone looks for a nature podcast or a science podcast, we're going to show up higher on that list when so they don't have to scroll as far. And, so and that's how it helps. We can't thank you enough. With all your listening and all your work, we've actually been catapulted into the top 1% of all podcasts globally, Yeah, which is out of – like three point some million yeah. podcasts. So yeah, so, so. Sankram Vedantam, here we come. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's where we're coming. Bill Nye, I think, is up there. It's, Bill Nye, Conan who's, O'Brien, uh, who's Ali Ward? Yeah, that's, oh, uh, Ali Ward, and Ali Ward. Uh, oh, who's that's just science. But uh, yeah. what's it? Smartless. Watch out, Will Arnett. And yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. Sean Hayes, and Jason. No, Bain, we have, we're coming for you. So yes, they're they're in a different stratosphere. But. Yes. Um, yes. No, very, very grateful for all the, the reviews and, and kind Thank words you. that we get. Thank you. And because we it's been a hiatus since we've recorded in a while, we actually got a few questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So we were excited to, to have some, some questions and comments to respond to. And let's just click into the first one. Hi, Tom and Fran. This is Christy from Maryland. I assume that when I buy a tree or a shrub from a nursery that it's grown from cuttings and not seed because just growing a tree or shrub from seed would take too long, so it's not really economically viable for a nursery to do that. I am also assuming that maybe growers have like one or two mother plants that they take cuttings from. So I'm wondering if you can talk about this on the podcast. And I'm asking because... It, it kind of relates to the ongoing discussion about straight species versus cultivars and the fact that straight species have more genetic diversity. So I'm wondering if nurseries are growing plants from cuttings, aren't they just basically selling what amounts to cultivars with no genetic diversity? Um, and I buy both, you know, straight species and cultivars, but I don't really like the debate about purity <laughs> um, just because it seems to lack merit because really if nurseries are growing their trees and shrubs from cuttings, don't they lack genetic diversity anyway? So um, it would be really great if you could address this and thank you very much. Bye-bye. So that's not as easy of an answer. Yeah, as that's, a, that's a real it depends it, on an answer. It really does and Having worked at all different kinds of nurseries, there's multiple answers for that. So I would think if you're buying a straight species plant, there is a huge bare root market. So we talked about bare root mm -hmm. where someone grows a plant. Um, they may grow it from seed, grow a seedling, let it grow on, and then they harvest it from the ground with no soil uh, when it's dormant. Yeah. And they store it and they ship it either in the fall or in the spring. A lot of straight species natives – a, a grower or a nursery may buy a bare root liner in from another mm -hmm. nursery. Now, what the seed source is that it could be – if you're in New Jersey, it could be Michigan. It could be Florida. It could be Oregon. Mm -hmm. But they're doing a lot of the straight species natives from seed done bare root. Yeah. Now, you can do cuttings. Mm -hmm. um, for us as a nursery, like say willow. Willow you can grow from seed, yeah. but it's much more effective and, and easy to do it from a cutting. Yeah. But we're going out into the wild to a huge population, collecting over a large amount of of plants mm -hmm. and rotating where we collect yeah. from. No, no, not everyone's doing that. No, and Fran, like, I'll, yeah. I'll back up a little bit yeah. and say, for trees, like specifically trees, yeah. I'm trying to think, and I can't think of any that 
we would do from cuttings or that I were traditionally, no. are there many trees, shrubs? Yes. Shrubs yeah. are, are yeah. Done, I know a lot of them are done from cuttings. Other than black but, willow. Yeah. Like I can't think of any there. They, yeah. they would be shrubs. Um, but there are nurseries. If you're dealing with cultivars, mm-hmm. then they could be done from tissue culture. They could be done from a graft. Yeah. They could be done from a bud. They could be done from seed. Well, not from seed, but they, there's multiple. They could be done from cuttings to a graft. There, mm-hmm. There's multiple different ways. Like when I worked at Princeton Nurseries, we had stock blocks. Yeah. So we were doing cultivars where you're grafting um, cyan wood from a ginkgo. They were they had 20 trees that they collected all the cyan mm-hmm. wood. For, but it's yeah. it's also a clone. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. There's so many different ways. It could be if it's a grass, it could be from a division. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't produce a viable yeah. seed, it, it's, it's that's where like with trees specifically, that's where it gets really tricky because so I would say the majority of the bare root trees grown on the East Coast for sure, probably across all North America, are grown in Oregon. Yeah. But that doesn't mean the seeds from there because there's seed from New Jersey that I know yeah. it goes out to Oregon, gets planted in Oregon, yeah. and then the plants get shipped back here. Yeah. So it's. It, but I would I would say for the first part of the question, if you're buying a specifically a tree, and it was a species tree, yeah. not a cultivar, it's probably was seed grown. It was more it's than just, likely it's from seed. Yeah. Um. But that like once you get into shrubs or or cultivar selections, um. But the uh, the other part of your question is one of the things I always I think about, even if you were just buying, or I look at it this way. Yeah. Even if you're just buying one, you go to the store and you get one purple cone flower. You've basically made a selection. It is. It was not really that much different than if you had gotten a cultivar. Um, if you were going to get one, you're getting three. Okay, now it's a little bit. There's a there's a, a magnification for how many uh, for the benefit based on how many you're getting. If you're getting a hundred, okay, now there's a like really outweighs it to get. A, a seed grown plant versus a, a some kind of cultivated selection. So, or, and then obviously thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, the higher that yeah. number gets, the more important it is to have the genetic diversity than, than yeah. to have a selection. Yeah. Um, Cause if you had a hundred thousand of a cultivar selection out there, they're, they're all genetically should be identical. There might be some slight differences, but they should be identical versus having a ton. But if you have, it's just one for one. In my mind, it probably really doesn't matter. No, and it's, and it's like some things. If you're buying, say, a cultivar, say you want it, Emerald Sentinel Juniper, which mm-hmm. is a Juniper's Virginiana yeah. cultivar, you're having Emerald Sentinel material, which is going to be clonal, yeah, grafted on a rootstock that maybe isn't even Juniper's Virginiana or a native variety. Um, like if you're buying crab apples, it's Multiple rootstocks of crab apples that don't get grown, mm-hmm. and you're grafting onto that. A weeping cherry could be a rootstock to a trunk, like a trunk grafted to a rootstock, and then a different tree <laughs> grafted yeah. to the the trunk. So it's like if you see the grafted weeping cherries, it's basically three different trees. It's a rootstock of one tree, a trunk of another tree, and the yeah the, the crown of a third. So, um, if if you're buying straight species, there's more of a there's more of a chance that you're actually getting a seed-grown plant. And I'd yes. say that's probably likely for perennials. It's 
mostly likely for trees, for shrubs. You could have cuttings, and that's going to depend on the nursery's practice. Mm-hmm. Are you are they wild collecting? Do they just have one stock plant? We can speak for what we do. We know yeah. some people do other ways. We've seen it both ways. Yeah. You want to get even more complicated is the folks who don't want to pay the patent money for, yeah, for, you could for the selection. They'll just sell it as a species. Like we're yeah. talking about river birch is if they didn't want to pay the patent money for Dur- was Dur- it heritage Dur- or Dur- Dur- heat or Dur- something Dur- like that. One where well, they just sell it as a river birch. And when you walk in, they can, oh, yeah. it's When I did the purchasing, and it was oh. hard for them to have this when, when I did it at at Princeton Nurseries because we owned so many patents. You know, and some people didn't even realize that we had the patents. You would talk about October Glory uh, Red Maple, and they would be like, oh, well, we have Acer Rubrum. I'm like, oh, you know, we're really looking for October Glory. This is one of, you know, this is what we prefer to sell. And they're like, oh, well, technically it's October Glory, but I I propagated it without a license, so I can't call it that. It's just Red Sunset. Or it's just, I mean, it's just Acer Rubrum. And you're like, oh. Okay, you you realize we have the patent, yeah. That, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be a lot of those conversations, but I didn't even think about that. It's yeah. it's it's definitely much more complicated than you would think because yeah. there's so many different practices and ways that you can produce a tree. Yeah, um, going, but just going with straight species, there's more of a likelihood that you got mm-hmm. something from seed. Now, what? Where the yeah, where the seeds where, from? Yeah, is... did they collect all the seed from one plant, or did they wild collect it? From a forest with yeah. with numerous plants, that's and, it, and that's the other benefit to going to like a, a small local native nursery is more than likely they collected it from someplace yeah. local to them. They aren't buying in plants from from uh, Oregon and getting them yeah. shipped in because it's just cost prohibitive to do that at that size. <laughs> it's you're doing that when you're getting getting pallets of them yeah. or, or tractor trailer loads, not. 10 you, or 20. You have to be able to trust who you're buying from. There's no 23 in me for, for yeah. trees. There, there is, but no one's doing it. So when we're dealing with a large environmental firm or a large engineering firm or or a DOT, we can bring them into the nursery and show them our seed cooler, show them how it's labeled, mm-hmm. like how it's collected, discuss that with them, and they can trust us and know. But someone could easily say this is the right provenance and lie. Because there's no way to really fact yeah, check or double it. check cost effectively. There's no way to do it. You're going to take take the information based on yeah. face value. Yeah, we've just thrown a ton of information out there, but uh, yeah. So I guess to simplify, and then we I think we're missing some part of the question too. Yeah. Simplify if you're getting a species tree, not a cultivar of a tree. More than likely, it was seed grown, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was seed grown near you. If you're only buying one, or diverse from, grown, yeah, or pick from a diverse, yeah. yeah. If you're only buying one, the upside of getting a species versus uh, is there's a chance it was it's a local ecotype to you. Um, the downside, in my mind, is you don't exactly know what you're getting. Yeah. Where if you get go with something that was a clone or a variety cultivar or something like that, then at least you may not know where the the origin is, but you know what you're going to get out of it. Sorry, um, I got sidetracked. There was a hummingbird moth oh, right, gotcha. out, right outside the window, <laughs> yeah. like looking at you. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it is complicated. So it's a lot of it's just find what your preference level is and then do your best to, to match that. And when you can't, cut yourself a break. Yeah. So hopefully we answered your question or, yeah. or, or we yeah. <laughs> completely confused you. But it's, 
you, you can't really assume. It, yeah. Like we hopefully we provided enough pointers to help guide you in the right direction. Yep. Um, and I don't think it's a matter of purity because every plant is different genetically. So yeah. it's straight species. You there's genetic diversity. When when you talk about you know through time and adaptation if something were to hit a community yeah. most of the times you have the extremes where american chestnut there weren't resistant elms there were natural resistant yeah. elms like if you had 5000 iris versicolor and a disease were to come through you might lose some mm-hmm. others are a little different and they're going to react differently so the community because there's enough genetic diversity yeah hopefully there's there's enough difference that if something were to come through it wouldn't take out the entire yeah Yeah. entire and i guess that's what i'm trying to say is when you're only getting one or even like two or three it's okay you're you're buying the the seed grown because of the genetic diversity but if they're only one what genetic genetically diverse from what yeah there's just one yes so it's when it's a population level thing when I go online, I see a lot of, like, well, what I interpret is uh, the folks who are talking about it don't seem like they're confused, but it doesn't, <laughs> what they're saying does not, not <laughs> doesn't not calculate. Yeah. It's, it's not what they're trying to say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, uh, it is a tricky thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to give like a definitive recommendation because it's different for everything. Like yeah. what we could say, I could say, yeah, go to Toad Shade Nursery. I know you're going to get something seed grown from a, a locally sourced ecotype. Yeah. Um, or they wild, probably pick wild up ridge plants. From, yeah. yeah, wild yeah. ridge plants, same one. Um, but I can't say that in, that's good if you live near Frenchtown. Yeah. Um, if you're in Maine, does that really help you? No. Is that going to help you know that versus, it's find some place that's near you, but that's not available to everyone. So. Well, what you can do yeah. is you can collect your own seed. Yeah. You can join seed swaps. Mm-hmm. You can contact a seed company that is giving the right things and you can, yeah. Oh, yeah. you can become an, an amateur, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Propagator. Yep. So you, that's yeah. always an option too. You don't have to buy the plant. So many of our, so many of our listeners yeah. are doing that themselves and, and sharing pictures on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group of their winter yeah. sowing and so forth. I always feel a little crazy when I say those things, like what we just talked about, yeah. because it's not what we do. No, and it's not our mission and our message, but it's I, – I don't know. I just hate to see the – I hate to see the wrong information getting I out agree. there. I agree. And it's, it tends to be – it's a, a little bit over – folks get a little overzealous with what they're saying. And it's to a point where it's no longer correct. Um, now, did we water it down a little bit? We may have. Like, there, yeah. there may be even more intricacies that we didn't discuss. <laughs> there definitely are. There, yeah. there definitely yeah. are. But I think for an overall summary, for a cliff note, yeah, it, it's it's pretty decent. So, All right. All right. You, ready you have for- <laughs> another question, right? <laughs> we, we still have one more, yeah. Hi, friend and Tom. My name is Zach Rittner, and I'm an environmental science teacher at Scotts Plains Fanwood High School. I've been listening to your podcast for the past few months and have really enjoyed it. Uh, I've used a lot of the lessons I learned from listening to your podcast, as well as some on-air advice you guys gave a couple of months ago to help my students create their own pollinator garden in our school's courtyard. That pollinator garden has generated a lot of buzz, pun intended, from both students and staff who want to see the project expanded. For reference, the courtyard is about 150 feet by 90 feet. 
but our current garden is situated in a 12-foot by 12-foot raised platform next to sort of a small gravel path with a few other smaller beds that we're using. Right now, the principal and I have been kicking around some ideas of how to help transition the courtyard, which, by the way, is completely enclosed, so it's kind of completely walled off. Deer can't get in, uh, but has an open roof, so birds and insects can definitely get in like you guys said they would. Uh, but we're looking to transition that back into a more natural space by planting trees, asking the ground staff to stop mowing the grass and adding uh, a wildflower meadow, among some other ideas. Since you guys are the experts, I thought it could kind of be fun to kick out the question of, you know, what should we do next to the Native Plants Healthy Planet listener space? I'd really love any sort of insights on how to make the space whole again from an ecological perspective and encourage more birds and insect species to colonize the area. So far, I've seen bees making a big comeback, as well as about 10 different species of birds at our feeders, including house finches, killdeer, and even barn swallows. Actually, the other day, I saw a, um, a sharp-shinned hawk fly overhead getting mobbed by, I think, some grackles, which was pretty cool. Anyway, thank you for everything you do and for taking the time to listen to this message. It really means a lot to me and the students. Zach from Scotch Plains Fanwood High School. Zach is actually a second-time yeah. caller, oh, yeah. and uh, he sent some photos along that you haven't seen yet of the project that they did, and the courtyard is looking fabulous. Yeah, awesome. So um, I would like to throw this out to our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, but we have some suggestions as well. But I would love our listeners to also chime in. Um, one, I'm surprised they're getting killed here. There must be a lot of stone yeah. in the courtyard. Oh, yeah. I was I was thinking that, but um, – one thing that struck me where you mentioned feeders. So one of the things you want to do is create food for those birds over the winter mm-hmm. to draw them in. You'll you'll find eventually you won't need those feeders. So one of the things just with what's there, don't cut it back over the winter. Leave the seed heads there to attract yep. the birds that are already finding that area. They'll come back. I think instead of trees, I would focus more on shrubs mm-hmm. um, to keep them a little bit more sizable, create habitat. For nesting and and uh, safety, but also food source. So I'd go burying sh- uh, shrubs. I don't know what you think, Tom. Yep. I'm thinking winterberry holly, chokeberries. I'm thinking yep. cornice and viburnums, uh, yep. like uh, silky dogwood, gray dogwood, uh, cornice cerecia. It's going to give you some winter color with the red twig dogwoods. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see a lot of berry set uh, in there. That will attract birds, and yep. you'll find you don't need the feeders if you provide enough food over the winter for them. Um, I would say, and then don't rake the leaves over the winter. That's mm-hmm. going to help your insects over the winter That uh, for larvae, uh, for certain insects in the leaves. Yeah. And and kind of increase that diversity over time and mm-hmm. let, the, let the leaves enrich the soil. Oh, yeah. Thinking about the school year because so it's starting in about a month, month to – When things to, are starting, yeah. Like I'm, I'm think, looking at cranberry viburnum, which is in berry right now, and I'm like, well – great for for wildlife but it's the students aren't going to be there to see it yeah so yeah maybe that might be like if you're filtering out and you you can only pick three yeah. maybe you skip something like cranberry viburnum that's going to bury yeah. now or, or photinia melanocarpa which yeah. is a uh, black chokeberry which is burying yeah. now um elderberry is another one that's in yeah. bearing now and then you get stuff like winterberry holly's yeah. one where it's gonna and the bird it's not a bird favorite but they'll get to it. Yeah. Towards Same the with chokeberry. Actually, chokeberry, even though it's fruiting yeah. now, although it doesn't, it doesn't get eaten, it kind of drops off. 
Yeah. Um, but like some of the later fruiting items may be good when the students are there. But if you – it's a shit. Like I've noticed black cherry, I, probably mm-hmm. not something you want to plant there, but the birds are going absolutely crazy, yeah. like fighting in black cherry trees. Sassafras is another one that you could probably keep somewhat small that birds love. But you'll see the birds come if you provide that habitat and food source. Um, because with the seed, you're getting certain birds, but you're not getting the diversity you would see if you had the fruit. Um, so I think that would be a good place to start, and it would keep the height a little bit lower without going crazy uh, tree-wise. And I, I think the cultural – like having them not mow is good, having them not rake the leaves, not cutting the flower heads back until the spring. Let them go until March, April. Uh, so you have bees overwintering in stems. That type, you have goldfinches feeding on on seed heads. Uh, it's it's a much more natural way to increase that habitat. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't even think about school year. You're absolutely right. Like most of that is going to be fall. Yeah. You're you're gonna yeah. see the spring flowers, mm-hmm. which is great, but you're gonna get a lot of winter. Which the spring is is good for birds because they want the the caterpillars. So you need. Stuff that's going to attract those lepidoptera, so that then you'll get the, the birds coming in to feed that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you have the food and the caterpillars, or you have the food for the caterpillars with the plants, and then you have the caterpillars, the birds are going to—they're not going to build their nest too far away because they—they're trying to get stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, it's awesome that the job you've done so far. Um, it's really exciting. I agree, and we we thank you for the work. We we talked about this earlier in the podcast, but thank you for the work that you're doing with educating. Uh, and and actually. In in the reviews, Vegetarian is another one that that is doing a lot of work mm-hmm. with students and creating habitat, oh, yeah. and yeah. we're we're seeing more and more of that, and that makes us so happy. Um, mm-hmm. And I know it makes a lot of other yep. people happy yep. as well. So, uh, so we have no grow read a book, no Tom's Petty, no which is it's good. I did that on purpose because, because we have uh, a lot. We're already almost <laughs> at about an hour and a half. Yeah. So uh, the only thing we have left for you is take it or leave it, and. This kind of – I thought of this while I was on vacation because we saw fireworks displays, mm-hmm. and I started researching. I'm like, how does how do fireworks affect nature? Yeah. And I started – like it can kill bird. Just the sound can kill birds out of like – like into, scare yeah. them into cardiac oh, arrest. Yeah. Um, so sound damage, chemical output, and fear. Mm-hmm. So – Fireworks, is it creating enough of it? I'm sure 4th of July, yes, there's enough mm-hmm. of that that is causing damage. But throughout the, the year, maybe there's not a lot. But yeah. what are your thoughts on fireworks as a take early? Um, the big one is uh, is the fear aspect. Like what makes it relatable is think about how your pets, specifically dogs, react on the 4th of July when My, there's fireworks. When I had dogs, they would yeah. hide in the corner yeah. in the bathroom. So what is that that – Deer, or raccoon, or bird. <laughs> what are they thinking when all this is happening? Yeah. It's even more foreign to them. I guess a lot. Well, my assumption is where you have your bigger fireworks displays are going to be more towards urban areas where you're going to have less wildlife. Like I'm thinking about yeah. Philadelphia does yeah. it over the river, right? New York yeah. City does it over the river, but um, but then you have all the the home firework displays that um. They're right next to the woods, <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's, I'm I'm not a huge fan of fireworks. I go to them yeah. in, in our town just because it's a, a, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, but it, I don't I don't love the whole concept, especially from the ecological yeah. aspect. I 
I don't know enough about like the chemical output. What's like, it's gunpowder essentially? What that's falling. I know there's a lot of litter from the paper that's falling on the ground. Yeah, um, I don't know what kind of chemicals yeah. are in that. Like other than the gunpowder, that might be harmful later yeah. on. Um, yeah. You know, in my community, they started doing the Fourth of July fireworks behind an abandoned Kmart, mm-hmm. and everyone parks in the parking lot. Yeah, and it's kind of there's there's no wildlife. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say there's no wildlife, but there's not a lot of trees. There's it's less, urban. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's less. It's, it's probably less of an impact at yeah. that area. I, yeah. I know that you can evaluate anything in this way. You could say, oh, gas stations. They're just leaking gas into the soil. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you can pick apart anything. I just hadn't thought about the sound damage and the fear aspect to wildlife. Yeah. And after witnessing some firework displays, I was like, I guess on a grand scale, this, you know, on mm-hmm. the 4th of July, that's probably like, like a fright night in nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it just keeps and that's what I'm sitting there and I'm like, I wonder what the birds and deer are doing right now. While like, we're sitting here enjoying this and got an ice cream cone and sitting in a lawn chair and it's like the wood line is right there. What are the birds and deer doing right now yeah. through all this? And raccoons and squirrels and all that. What do they think is going on? This has got to be World War Three. Yeah, yeah. Happens nu- once a year. Nuclear Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's 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 crazy. Yeah. What they because they don't know. Yeah. And I wonder if they even like some of the lifespans of some of these animals or insects yeah. like may not know or remember that it happened mm-hmm. last year. You don't know. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy when I thought about it. It's it's another one of those things. Like I talk about on our next podcast a little bit, and I've talked about before. It's like it. It started. It's it's a fun thing to do, but when you really boil it down, it's like what's the what's the point yes. of this? Um, or once you know that there's like negative ramifications from it, it's like, well, why why are we doing this? Is it really worth it? I, <laughs> I know well, why I know why we're doing it. So everyone yeah. can record them on their phone and then Was never it? show anyone I, ever again. That's, <laughs> that's 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 very important Listen, thing. As someone who who would buy fireworks every year and light them off when my kids were young. I I look at like I have a neighbor that over the span of three days, I'm estimating mm-hmm. dropped grands. Yeah. Not just one yeah. grand, grands. Like who has that kind of money nowadays just for mm-hmm. a fifteen minute display? Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like even thinking about it that way. Yeah. I can't see myself doing it. Not for this, just for for numerous reasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I've I've grown up a little bit or matured past that. Yeah. Not saying that you're not grown up if you use it. I've just matured in my thinking towards it. Yeah. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. My dad had always didn't like them. Yeah. But I don't think it was for ecological reasons. No. Or anything. I think he just didn't like them. This is but, the um, first time I actually thought about it ecologically. Yeah. And what it was doing. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I don't know. It's I, like I'm. I, don't think I'm going to stop going. I have a similar no. take to the like light displays at arboretums in Christmas time. Yeah, uh, it's like yeah. or even just home home Christmas lights. Yeah. I'm like oh, don't really serve a point. I'll scale mine down, but I. It's yeah. like I don't know if I'm going to stop. But if if a neighbor is lighting off fireworks, am I going to go outside and look at them? Yeah, yeah. At least the yeah. the fireworks things have been along around for hundreds and hundreds okay. of years. Yeah. Refrigerators have only been around for like fifty, <laughs> six. Well, not more than fifty years. What seventy years, yeah. eighty years? But um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a more long seated tradition than yes. than some of the than lawns, or, or like yeah. that kind of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, 
All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Thank you, RJ Comer, for our Buzz intro theme music. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music uh, wherever you consume your music and check out his Americana playlist on Pandora. A big thank you to Dave Bennett for our Native Plant Anthem. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and comment line, and we're thankful for everyone that called in. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll do our best to play it in a future episode of The Buzz. And thank you again to all the new members of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. I should say all the old members too. I think we're at like 2.2,000. So every time I look, it just keeps growing. And it's every time I look, it's so many wonderful conversations. Yeah, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a link right at the top. Takes you to our store and then we don't keep any of the, the profits. All the costs go to the people who are making the shirts. And then the profits, uh, we just kind of hold them in a little pot. Uh, not a physical pot. It's a little pot online called PayPal. And then when when, when the sum gets large enough, we're like, hey, we should do something of this. We pick a, a someone who's usually been a guest and say, this is someone we feel, it's a, it's not a large sum of money, but it's, something that we feel could make it a difference to them. There's bigger organizations that, that obviously deserve money as well, but um, they have plenty of people donating to them. So we want to pick organizations that a couple hundred bucks can make a big difference. Yeah. So uh, all that money is going to folks that you've heard on here and you know are doing great stuff in their communities. So um, you can also listen to our podcast on our website, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. Uh, do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, and hit subscribe if you have not already. Uh, it is, uh, just like I mentioned before, that's what promotes our message to a larger audience and, and has a show up a little bit higher up on their phones so as they're searching for something to listen to on a rainy Friday. So uh, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. Fran, you have a secret? Is that your secret you know in what? here? I'm, I'm having second thoughts. It is my secret. Do you know my Poison Ivy story? I think you've told it on here before. No. Did I? About the big – oh, no, that was Lyme's disease. Yeah, yeah. It's, I know you got poison ivy really bad here once. Yeah. Uh. There is a little more to the story that I only just divulged. Oh. Rec- Teresa, yeah. our human resource manager, knew because yeah. I missed time at work. Yeah. But I'm like, it may be a little inappropriate. It may, it's, it's definitely going to be extremely embarrassing. Yeah. And the other thing is we're already over an hour and a half. Okay. So I'm like, do I tell you the story off air? We discuss it mm. and hold it for next one? Or do you want me to just throw it out there? Because I'll throw it out there. Um, maybe you're you're going to laugh. It's I not, would say maybe we tease this one. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, I don't really get poison ivy. All right. I get it. I get, I get it in between my fingers is like yeah. about the only spot. This one, but, this one, because it, I was thinking of all the posts that were in the Native Plants Healthy Planet yeah. Facebook group about poison ivy mm-hmm. and how bad some people get and how some people don't get it. And I was going to share one of my personal experiences, which is kind of fun. I can look back at it yeah. and laugh at it. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it maybe it wasn't so funny. It was a little yeah. little not funny at the time. All right. So, I think that's a good teaser. Okay. It's uh, Mine is that uh, my, my secret is I have not been getting a lot of sleep this week because my son all of a sudden has started waking up between 1230 and 3 a.m. and just yelling and crying and saying, I want mama. And I can go in there and yeah. try and let my wife sleep. It doesn't work. 
Wow. It's like she has to get up, and I feel terrible about it. But, uh, and then we're like, there's a couple other things that are going on with this personality lately. And like, oh, he's being real. They whole sometimes. <laughs> and then we like, uh, my wife Googled like developmental yeah. age yeah. of like a three-year-old. And he's like, oh, it, it, he's doing everything that yeah. this says he should be doing. Oh, just, it's, just, just, he wait. should be needy. Yeah. He should be doing this. Just wait till you hit 14, 15. Yeah. That's oh, the yeah. whole, yeah. yeah, that that's fun. fun that's time. what was the fun one time. thing about being a parent is everyone's like, you're like, not complaining, but saying, "Oh, this is the hard stuff we're dealing with right now." Everyone's like, "Oh, wait!" And when they're two or when they're one, they're like, "Wait till they turn two, and then they're yeah. two, and it's like, "Wait till they turn three, <laughs> and it's like, "Wait till they turn four. I think there's like only a small little snippet where this might be fun. It's, it's, no, I'm kidding. It's it is a lot of fun now. It's, oh. uh, but I feel your pain. I've been there. It's, I've it's, been there. It's um. There's a lot of tier one fun, and there's a lot of tier two fun where the yeah. stuff where it's like it sucks waking up at at two in the morning and trying to comfort some a, a thing that will not refuses to be comforted. Um, but it's like, I know even right now I'm like, yeah. it's we're laughing about it. So it's, there's fun yeah. coming out of my suffering and it's going to be something we remember and, yes. and probably miss at some point in a yeah. weird way. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. You, you look back at it and you commiserate. It's, it's a bonding member. It's a bonding moment with other parents as yes. well. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so, all right. Well, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have an interview with Eric Escalon from TerraCycle, which we're really excited to put out into the podcast verse. Uh, so make sure you tune in uh, to that. And until then, keep it native. Woods, wetlands, and dales grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Our native plants, so diverse and so rare, treasures of our land beyond compare. From the friends below, soaring oaks above. Each plant has a place, each plant is love. Modern caterpillars, moss, milk, wheat, so tall. These buzz about, sifting methods fall. Oh, native plants, how do you grace this land? In your diversity, we will take a stand. To preserve our generations to come, may beauty and buoyancy second to none. To protect and preserve the earth, to restore the native plant food that you just can't ignore. Golden rod, asters, and flowers galore. Menard is so stunning, can't help but adore. Your colors, the fragrance, a feast for the eyes. Their value to wild, like no need to disguise. Native plants, how you grace this land in your diversity. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.